Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. KXNO. From the Lithia Body and Paint Sports Desk, powered by BMW of Des Moines, this is an X's and O's update on 1460 KXNO. And I'm Trent Condon. In the Big 12 last night, Texas Tech continued their lead in the Big 12 standings as they knock off Texas 70-51. Already they have to force one up. Shot fake over Hayes. The call from ESPN, Texas Tech can clinch the regular season title with a win Saturday at Iowa State. Kansas State also moved to 13-4 and in conference play with a road victory at TCU. And look at that, he wants the ball. It ends up with Wade, two on one, Brown, the to Dean Wade! Wildcats 64, TCU 52. The call from ESPN2. Tonight in the Big 12, Kansas makes their way to Norman to take on the Sooners. And in the Big 10, Michigan State hosts Nebraska. Purdue travels to Minnesota. Day 2 of the Boys Basketball State Tournament from Wells Fargo Arena underway. Updates all day long here on 1460 KXNO, presented by Grinnell Mutual. KXNO in your pocket with iHeartRadio on your smartphone. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, Zubin Mahente, ESPN, uh, coming up here in about 15 minutes. Let's get John Miller. He joins us as we talk Hawks. John, Trent, and Ken, thanks for coming on. How are you, John? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Doing well. I want to ask you about the uh, your column from last week, How Sports Can Teach. Uh, I don't know how many you've written over the years, John. Um, hundreds, <laughs> probably yeah. fair to say. Thousands. Does this one... I mean, I know it's a, it's a click generated world, and the, and this is a question. I mean, the column is worth is is um, is, is so good that I'm not. I'm going to ask you about the clicks, but I, I feel like I'm um, d- doing it a disservice because that's not why you wrote it. Obviously, and you don't have to dance around with. Not, it. Go ahead. I know, but I mean, this has to be as uh, well received as anything you've ever done. I guess is where I'm going. You know, it's interesting. It it, it has been, and I, I think in the matter of six days. I was a villain and a saint mm-hmm. just about every side of the issue, which is not my intention. I don't like flip-flopping my opinion. But I, you know, I, I just had a personal revelation um, late last week after you and I talked, after I even, you know, jokingly used the term playing like an animal or a beast mm-hmm. on this particular time slot last week. And I, I, I read, you know, the Morehouse column, um, on unconscious bias, and yeah, I, I didn't necessarily like it, but I read it. I, I liked his calm. I just didn't like the content of what uh, Dave Dustrup talked about in it, the concept of unconscious bias. And then I read Chad Lysico's piece on Wednesday night, and I woke up the next day, and I just I felt like I needed to write something. I didn't know what it was. And then this memory from my childhood just really and truly came to me at that point in time. And, you know, I'm a person of faith. I believe mm-hmm. that was an appointed um, instance. And I believe that I was supposed to write about it. And uh, it turned out it was very difficult to write. It was very difficult for me to remember that 
something I hadn't remembered for 35 years. You know, uh, a, a black kid in our town, a very, very white town, crying after someone said something very, uh, very insulting and racially insulting to him. And none of us did anything. And that was really difficult to remember. But I'm glad that I wrote it. I'm glad that that memory came back. And it's crazy that here I am a week later. And I still don't think Gary Dolphin meant anything racist by what he said. No, nor do I. I still, I still think intent has to matter. But my opinion on this is evolving to the point of just because I don't think something is racist or harmful doesn't mean that others see it the same way. And I think at least in this world, I'll be better off. I'll be doing those around me a service if I try to consider things from their point of view, too. I don't know that there's any harm in that. John, your your column really struck a nerve with me and my group of friends from back home. I grew up North Iowa, much like you, small town Iowa. In fact, the whitest county in America is where I grew up. I, I, I was I was a minority because I'm a little tan. I mean, that that's that's what it was growing up. But we were all in our group messages. We were texting about this, and, and a buddy sent the link right as it came out, and we started talking, and we dove into some deep things that I don't think we've talked about for probably 30 years. Yeah conversations like that. I know you saw those conversations out there, and this was a piece I was telling Ken earlier. My mom was talking about with her group of friends. Mm-hmm. They don't go to Hawkeye Nation very often, but they made it for this one. I think it's important, not just because of the realm and Gary Dolphin and everything here, but also Iowa, a very white yeah. state. And I think it's important to have that point of view out there, very helpful in that avenue. You know, I don't like the term that people throw around like, something humbling or I'm very humbled to receive an offer or, you know, I think that can tend to pull a light on yourself. But hearing you say things like that and other people sharing things with me, this last week, more than any time in my life, I maybe respect the platform I've been fortunate enough to build more than I ever have before. And that doesn't mean that all of a sudden John Miller is going social justice crusader (laughs) because that would be disingenuous and I'm not qualified. I was qualified to share that story at that time. And the fact that it spawned a lot of discussions, I'm really glad to hear that. It wasn't my intent, um, but the fact that it has, that makes me really happy. You did good, John Miller, no doubt about that. Uh, So did Jim Delaney as we segue. Um, How will you remember the Big Ten Commission? You know, honestly, John. What he's done, what he did for TV, what he did for that conference. He changed college sports. I think for the better, and I don't think I'm in the minority when I say that. Uh, Jim Delaney's career, John. Yeah, he, he's one of the most impactful administ- athletic administrators collegiately uh, in history, maybe the most. Uh, I, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with anybody whose resume can top his or the impact that he's going to have long after he leaves his post. Uh, he certainly gave us two to three years of talk radio fodder yep. expansion that I'm eternally grateful for. Uh <laughs> He, ESPN came to him in the early, early 2000s, and they were going to launch a specific college sports network, you know, ESPN Ocho, if you will. And Jim thought, we don't need to give them our inventory. We'll do it ourselves when the negotiations began to get a little tense. And he did it. He went, you know, thinking of doing something is one thing. Going out and doing it is another thing. The, The Big Ten has always cut its own path, right, wrong, or indifferent sometimes arrogantly so, but he is a true innovator, and he changed things. How I will remember him, 
yes, that's one of them. But I, you know, like to relay personal things. That's how we all live the world is that, you know, two, two meters, we don't live it at 10,000 feet, is um, my first ever national live television performance. Well, I guess one of six. But um, he was offset there at the Big Ten Network on September 2nd or September 3rd of 2010. My segment was to criticize or give my opinion on the the divisions that they had just announced, the new divisions for the first time the Big Ten was going to have divisions. Nebraska was going to be in in 2011. We had legends and leaders, and I expressed my uh, – I, I didn't really like legends and leaders necessarily. <laughs> you were proven and right, it, by the way. Yeah, it was seven or eight minutes long. Jim is standing offset because he's coming up in the next segment. <laughs> he thinks you're ripping he's standing him. there with his arms crossed. I can, I'm looking at the camera, and he's like three feet to the right of the camera, almost like you feel like you're in Russia, and, you know, the commissar is sitting there. I probably butchered that, and that's probably insensitive. But at any rate, uh, I got done with that. My back was soaked. Never happens to me. <laughs> and he, he slapped me on the back, and he said, good job, kid. Hmm. And uh, I walked off, and that's—I'll never forget that. I've never been that anxious, and it had nothing to do with a million some people watching. It had everything to do with one man standing fifteen feet from me and hmm. watching. Well, not a whole lot of back slaps after uh, Iowa basketball performance Saturday against Rutgers. We're just—I mean, our segues in this bit tried to be spot on. It's like we're—we've been doing this for a little <laughs> while. That was awful. Uh, to, to lose to Rutgers, okay, Rutgers has improved to lose at head coach, but to lose in that fashion, to give up 86 to a Rutgers team that can't shoot their way out of anything, it just it feels like another collapse is here for Iowa basketball under McCaffrey. You know, I, I wrote something yesterday, and I know some people will think it sounds like excuses. There's no excuse for Iowa's defense. What are they, like 120 or 130 now, which is like 50% better than a year ago? But they're playing like they were a year ago right now. Their defense is atrocious. So what I'm going to say has nothing to do with their defense. But I will say that the Ohio State game, the two Rutgers game, other games, we've all been watching Big Ten basketball for a long time. In 2013, uh, the NCAA came out and made a point of emphasis, emphasis to clean up the game, to clean up the play, to get the basketball going back to a game of fluidity and freedom mm-hmm. of motion and moving your feet and getting your hands off. And that's been six years ago. And every year they remind us. I went to the rule book yesterday. When you put your hands on a player with the ball in the perimeter, that's a foul. Do they call that? Mm-hmm. No, they don't. Mm-mm. And I think that this inconsistency in officiating Allowing this level of physicality on the perimeter that the Big Ten, I think, among all others, allows really, really hurts a team like Iowa more than others because Iowa more than others in this conference, maybe with the exception of Northwestern, lacks guards who can attack with the ball on the dribble vis-a-vis athleticism at the guard level. Nearly across the board, Isaiah Moss can do it, but he's not necessarily under control all the time when he does it. And since Iowa doesn't have that, and these players come out at 23, 24 feet. They're allowed to use their forearms. They're allowed to use their hands. In the case of the Rutgers games and the Ohio State game, they're clutching and grabbing and holding, and it's not getting called. Iowa's offense then, the centers have to come farther away from the block to receive the pass to start the offense. And that means for them to be able to legitimately score, they have to dribble the ball towards the basket, mm-hmm. which means a much higher percentage of turnover likelihood there. It means the offense is out of sorts. And I think that that's what you see often. The later we go into a season, the whistles, the officials swallow their whistles more and more. I think it hurts Iowa. That said, this is an atrocious defensive team, 
and this this team has not played a good basketball game in over a month now. You're right, John Miller. Um, who's the best team in the conference, John? Purdue sits at the top of the standings right now. Are they the best team in the conference? I think when you say team, let's use the term. They're playing as a team. They're playing better collectively than anyone else. Do their parts add up to the best sum? No, they don't. But they are playing their, the best basketball as a team. Probably them in Michigan. Michigan State without Ward and Langford are not as good, right. I think, as the way Purdue is playing collectively now. Um, or Michigan. But then again, Michigan State just beat Michigan without Ward. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens in the rematch of that game this weekend. I think Michigan gets them. Uh, we'll see how long Ward is out, too. But right now, I would go with Purdue. Explain Indiana to me. <laughs> well, it's matchup. It's like, you know, if you're an Iowa fan, you, I don't want to see Rutgers again. Yeah. If they're going to let them get away with that. Uh, frankly, I think Iowa's best chances for success is getting into the NCAA tournament and not having Big Ten officials. Yeah. Uh, I think Indiana, with their athleticism, matches up real well with the Michigan State. I can't explain. And Indiana, actually, when they play defense, they, they don't clutch and grab. They actually move their feet a lot more. And that's why Iowa's beat them twice. But, yeah, Indiana has athletes that can match up. I think Archie Miller has underperformed with this team this year, but I'd love to see them win out and make it real hard on that selection committee in a year where the bubble is incredibly soft. Uh, last thing, John Miller, HawkeyeNation.com. John, four Hawks at the Combine. All of them did exceedingly well. Hawkinson, Fanch just blew everybody away putting up numbers. Um, Four of them did great. Probably, maybe all picked by the time the second round comes to an end. Just your thoughts on on Hooker Nelson, Fanton, uh, who'd I miss? T.J. Hawkinson. Yeah, it, it was neat seeing those times come in. I, I didn't realize there was a medal count at. The yeah, nor did I. I think that's new. Yeah, it's kind of cool, and you know, I'm certainly aware of it because, well, Iowa, I guess, won it. If you want to yeah. describe that term to it. And, you know, thanks to, to, to Fanton Hawkinson's numbers. But, you know, Amani Hooker is a guy. I'm so glad that he's likely going to slide into that second round. And, and maybe surprised, but shouldn't be surprised with Nelson being considered in that territory, too. And these types of things, when out of one side of your mouth, you talk about how great this is. And then some people want to say, well, my gosh, did Iowa mm-hmm. underperform again with four, four, you know, yeah. first and second round draft picks? And probably. They probably did. Mm. I, I, I wish they could have a do-over on how to better use Fant and Hawkinson together. I really mm. do. Because we'll never see that type, type of duo again. John Miller, HawkeyeNation.com. John, thank you. Appreciate you sharing the uh, the info, the stories. Great stuff today. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, John. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. John Miller, HawkeyeNation.com. Just seen this on Twitter, but 16 years ago. Uh, Pete Daler passed away 16 years ago today. Wow. 16, I remember working with Bob Dyer. And we were off the air at 9 o'clock and actually came back in mm-hmm. because it meant so much to Bob to get back on the air and talk about Pete. Um, and we did that yeah. over a couple of hours, over lunch, maybe 11 to 1. But um, And just one call after another. Mm-hmm. 16 years. Time flies, doesn't oh it? Oh, my God. I was talking about this with my wife the other day. Um, Y2K? Yes. Remember that? Oh, I remember. Remember how big that was? That's Cal- 20 years ago. I, I was waiting at midnight for the world to shut down. It was going to happen. Luckily, I was pretty tipsy, so <laughs> it would have happened. I, I, I tried and couldn't make it. <laughs>
Oh, man. Zuma Mahente joins the program next. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KX. Sports Radio in Iowa starts and ends right here. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Take you up until noon. Murph and Andy today from 2 until 4 Fanatics. Uh, finish out the local portion of the of a Tuesday uh, from 4 until, well, whenever they get bumped off the air. 4 till 6, 6.37. I don't know what the schedule is tonight, whether Iowa State has their coaches program. Do you know, Trent? I don't offhand. I can't find the sheet that has everything. Well, Prom would be on the road, so I probably doubt it then, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, we know Zubin Mahente's here. That much we do know. He joins us as we talk the world of sports with Zubin. Zubin, Trent, and Ken, how are you, Zubin Mahente? Doing well. One quick note. I heard you guys a couple of days ago. Actually, it may have just been yesterday when I was working out listening to the first hour of the podcast where um, you guys were mentioning my partner on Saturday, Chris Patola, during the yes. I was thinking mm-hmm. called the Cyclone Soft. I know that got a little bit of run. I think Soundoff may have tweeted something about it. Just to give a quick heads up, and I guess you guys were in total agreement that they were soft, mm-hmm. as most people were. Uh, he's actually seen Iowa State in person, believe it or not. Four times this season. Yep. He's called four Iowa State games. So it's certainly something that I think a lot of people might at first say, whoa, you know, uh, this is just something you saw on Saturday. You saw it with your own two eyes, like you guys sitting at home and us sitting out there in the studio. But uh, he, the most recent Iowa State game he called was the Oklahoma-Iowa State game late last month. So uh, I don't think there was any really pushback from his comments. Comments seemed pretty on the mark. But, you know, this is a guy that's watched um, – the team four times in person it was on coach K staff uh at duke so it's just one of those things where uh, i think nobody's really arguing with his point but Mm-mm. uh he's seen iowa state more than most i would say from the national perspective glad you mentioned that zubin that's absolutely fair and it's absolutely accurate because i know that he i wasn't sure the number was four but i do remember him on the broadcast and uh uh his his comments were certainly uh spot on in in a lot of people's opinion. Uh so are Jay Williams and Seth Greenberg seemingly every night, Zubin. I know we I talk about this maybe not every time we speak, but boy, seemingly a whole bunch. I just continue to be blown away how good they are, how much that they know. Uh and they're gonna be in their element this weekend. Duke, North Carolina, Michigan, Michigan State. I love their poll last night. Give me one of those schools that will win. Just one. Obviously, two will win and two won't, but it's a tough question on the surface as to who pops first in your head is who's going to win out of those four. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because I think a lot of times right now you have to look at it and say, how do you evaluate Duke with or without Zion Williamson? And that's really the tough question from the sense of the day after the injury. The day after the injury, it was like, don't worry, he's day-to-day. And suddenly he's missed three games. So it's one of those situations where you look at it and say, how do you properly evaluate Duke? They had R.J. Barrett go off for 30 against Syracuse, and they have some sort of mini hex going on with Virginia Tech. That's a team they've had trouble with the last couple of years. And then you look at Carolina, who actually has the inside track over Duke to win the ACC, right there with Virginia. And the Michigan-Michigan State thing, schedule-wise, just works out perfectly. Because to have those two teams play twice, 
in their final four regular season games is terrific. And the idea that both of those teams are playing within hours of each other Saturday on ESPN says a lot. You know, this is the final regular season college game day of the year. It's been to uh, eight shows a year. So it's not like the football version, but I think it's one of those things where you look at it on the surface and you say, okay, this week it's Indiana at Michigan State. Why are we doing this? And then that turns out to be one of the most thrilling games of the year where Morgan gets hurt, Indiana wins, lo and behold, Indiana beats them a second time as well. So overall, you're right. This weekend should be a great crescendo. Obviously, certain leagues have already started their conference tournament. We saw uh, NJIT and Dunk City playing yesterday. Yes. Is done. So uh, we actually are branding Champ Week. Um, it's a little misnomer because we're, we're, we're treating it longer than a week. It's like uh, March 8th through the 17th. So that's definitely longer <laughs> than a week. But it's one of those things where the regular season will have a great crescendo and some conference tournaments are underway and others are about to get underway. And it's going to be awesome because it's one of those situations where you really look at it and say, hey, they hit Kansas, they hit Kentucky, they hit Duke. A couple of times um, they hit Houston, which you know I think somebody got mm-hmm. had to tell Houston that if you're going to have a coming out party, you you have to show up and win that sort of game. Right. But you know Central Florida was the AAC preseason favorite, so it wasn't like that completely came out of nowhere. So I think they've done a good job hitting all the locales. But this weekend, I mean, you got to, you got two heavyweight bouts. So this is UFC, the co-main event with those four teams. Zubin, college basketball fans a year ago, I think knew how good Loyola was. Of course, getting to a Final Four was a surprise, but this is a team that last year went on the road and won at Florida. Pretty good Florida team a year ago and did that. You look at Nevada, what they did getting the Sweet 16 and that ridiculous comeback against Cincinnati in the round of 32, but college fans knew that they were good. Who are, who are those teams at the mid-major level that when you talk to the analysts, they say, look out, this team, maybe not a Final Four like Loyola, but they're going to have a great chance of getting the second weekend. Who are some teams that you keep hearing popping up? Well, I think you have to keep Nevada in mind because it's the one stat that Greenberg says, and I absolutely love this stat. And it's an easy answer, Trent. You mentioned they did make a good run last year. They were as high as six in the country this year. They've obviously fallen because they didn't run through Mountain West Conference play, and people don't generally regard the Mountain West as very good, especially this year. And they lost three times. They lost to New Mexico, who traditionally is good. This year is not good. They lost to San Diego State, who traditionally has been good, but this year is a little bit off the mark. And they lost to Utah State, who a lot of people think is pretty darn good. I heard you say you think they're pretty good when I was listening to that podcast yesterday. But I think that's the team you have to keep in mind. It's always good to have, like, a fresh team. But as Greenberg said, he was, work, he was working with me one day, and I said, he goes, uh, you know what uh, Nevada's average age is? I said, what do you mean? He goes, what do you think the average age of their starting five is? I'm not sure. I mean, uh, they definitely don't have a lot of one and done, but they do have some pro prospects. He goes, and this is one of the great stats of the year, Trent. He goes, Nevada's average starting five, their age, 23.5. Wow. 23.5. So in a sport that's done by the one and done, um, they're not just a throwback. I mean, they do take some junior college transfers and those guys that sit and, you know, maybe some guys. are. They do actually have a couple of very good freshmen. They just actually enrolled a five-star freshman, the first one ever, uh, several months ago. But that's a team I would watch. Uh, I know it's the team that you previously mentioned had a run last year. They had a very, um, very, very interesting situation, a potentially volatile situation in their game against Utah State 
uh, last Saturday night that went viral pretty quickly. Yeah, say. But when you're telling me a team's 23.5 in terms of average age, they do have some fresh legs coming off the bench. They have experience from last year, um, and they're hungry because I do think Musselman, being a former two-time NBA coach, by the way, is a much better fit, obviously, in the college game, didn't really work out in the NBA. I would guess at some point he's going to be using the, hey, we lost three times in league play, everyone's completely counting us out. Because even when they were in the top ten trend, I would look at Joe Lenardi's bracketology or Jerry Palm's bracketology, and even though they were in the top ten or just outside of the top ten, they could not muster, even at that point, anything better than like a three or four seed. And that's not what their ranking would indicate. Obviously, these are just guys voting in the poll. It doesn't translate, generally speaking. But I think he's not going to have any problem getting his team riled up because they probably did finish a pick below, which is really impressive considering they had just a very small handful of losses. They probably finished just a tick below what people expected. And I think Musk is going to be able to use that to really motivate his guys because at this point, I don't think people think they can make a Final Four run. At the beginning of the season, it was a very chic pick, and I don't think there's that much of a different team. But I think he'll be able to use that as a motivational tool. So hmm. I look out for them again. I want to give you a minute to brag about your alma mater in just a second. But apropos of nothing, but back to Nevada Muscle, is, isn't he married to a former Sports Center anchor? My thanks. Yeah, his wife. Yeah, his wife's name is Danielle Sargent. She used to work. Yes, yes, prior yes. to when I was working here. Um, right, right, right. So I got here in 2011. I want to say she was gone by then. And if you follow Musselman on Twitter or uh, Nevada Basketball on any social media, she's a very active part of the program. Um, she's very connected to the program. Last year, when his daughter was becoming one of the big stars. Right, system, yeah. Second only to Sister Jean. I'd actually pitched a story on the uh, – it was called the young and old, you know, because you got Sister Jean at her age. Yeah. And then you have, like, Maya Musselman, who is seven, I believe. So we wanted to try to do something with the yin and yang of that. But, yeah, her name's Danielle Sargent. And I want to say that they had met when Musk was an assistant at, I think, LSU. Because he, he was actually the coach uh, for a couple different NBA teams, like I mentioned. Then he kind of hit the college game. He was at LSU. He was an assistant at Arizona State. And at some point or another, he met her and then took the Nevada job. So, uh, he's pretty savvy when it comes to TV. I've interviewed him a couple times. On, well, actually, I think I've interviewed him once on SportsCenter. Um, he, you know, if, you, if, if your listeners aren't familiar, they take a look at him. He's like a workout warrior. Um, he's over 50 years old. He looks like he's an incredible mm. kid for a guy that's over 50 years old. So he's got a ton of energy, and sometimes it's just all fit. You know, Spurrier was a college guy, not a pro guy, and this guy's probably finding himself to be the very same thing. But, yeah. Uh, Daniel Sargent. Uh, Rutgers uh, knocks off Iowa this past week. As I've told you, Zubin, uh, if I could buy stock in a Big Ten coach, it would be Peichel. I really like what he's doing there. This Rutgers team is, uh, your alma mater is getting better, my friend. And they got a whole bunch of depth. And Iowa was in the double bonus with seemingly 13 minutes or so left in the second uh, In the second half. This wasn't a fluke. Um, Rutgers was the better team on the floor. Getting better, aren't they? Must be fun to be a Rutgers fan. I can't say that very often. No, you know, I'll give you a couple anecdotal hints. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, this isn't exactly <laughs> the highest bar in the world, um, but they're they're still hopping over it, which is, uh, this is basically the best they've been since they've been in the Big Ten. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, that again, that doesn't say much, but that's certainly something to build on. Uh, their next game is against um, Penn State, which is Wednesday night. Tough. And that game is sold out, believe it or wow. not. Um, I think it's one thing. I think we were kind of scratching our heads when the Iowa game was sold out because I would I would certainly want to go watch Iowa. But, you know, what the appeal here is, 
uh, for Iowa. I'm not sure, but that game was sold out. Obviously, ended up being a finish for the ages. So I'm glad everybody that was there got to see it. And you're not surprised when they sell out against the true heavyweight of the league. But the idea that the game against uh, Penn State is sold out does say something. Uh, Ken Palm, Ken Pomeroy does say that all the metrics say that they are the most improved team uh, in the country. And maybe it's fitting and maybe it's apropos. And obviously it's just small increments here. But uh, the day after Jim Delaney announced he's going to be stepping down, I think a lot of people thought, and maybe this will end up only being a football decision. So maybe it's a TBA-type situation or a TBD-type situation. But it is nice to see that I think one of the small check marks against uh, Delaney, uh, in addition to, you know, look, it expands the footprint of the league, and the coaches do like the fact that they can go into New Jersey and get guys, some of the best players in the country, come out of New Jersey for football and high school basketball. But I think for the fan writ at large, not for the coaches or the administration, a lot of people look at expanding out east as somewhat of a mistake for the Big Ten, whether it was a media decision, short-sighted or not, and say, you know, Delaney did a great job, Big Ten Network, turned the Big Ten into one of the premier leagues in the country over the 30 years he was there in various capacities. But, you know, that move to go east and get Rutgers, that one looks like a, that one looks like a swing and a miss. And I wouldn't blame anybody that said that because they certainly haven't held up their end of the bargain. They're still not getting full Big Ten money. They will be soon. It's just a matter of what they do with that money to see if they can improve. Um, but I do think by, by very small measure, and I, I totally understand the majority of this will come down to how they look at football and how Delaney will be vindicated in that fashion. But at least in basketball, the program is showing sides of life. And that was really kind of the one thing that Delaney really kind of got a little criticism for, making them join the league. Was it a good move? Did it make sense on a variety of levels? Once again, I think the answer is still out there waiting to be decided. But basketball is showing some signs of progress. And they, for the first time in a long time, have a couple of guys that a lot of teams would want. I think Ron Harper Jr. could be in the mix at a lot of different schools, and he's just a freshman. So it's a pretty good sign. And, uh, you know, I, I thought I texted you Ken Saturday night, and I thought it was a little poetic justice hmm. in the way that uh, they had lost the first game to be able to get this one uh, on Saturday. All right, Zubin, with that, we know you love all sports seemingly. How big are you in the NFL Combine? It, it is something that seemingly continues to grow tons of different avenues with both the college and the NFL ranks to kind of go at. Is it something you enjoy covering, enjoy talking about? It is. I think I heard you guys talking about this yesterday, and you guys are kind of split down the middle. I'll, I'll be your tiebreaker on this one. Trent. <laughs> you're with me. With, uh, with Ken. I'm going with Ken on this one. Because um, I know you're not as into it. I know Ken obviously loves anything that has to do with any sort of football. Scene. But um, I would say, and I'm with Ken on that, but I would say two things that are interesting. I think, number one, the advent of this event and the growth of this event, you know, in a linear fashion to the draft, just shows the football appetite in the country. Um, this is something that was happening a long, long time ago with nary attention. And that's just the way the draft used to be. I mean, Michael Lombardi, uh, the old NFL insider, likes to tell a story that when he was a student at Hofstra, he would take the train in because the draft used to be in New York all the time at that point. He would take the, uh, a train in, and there would be 100 seats available to sit down and watch people select players uh, that were in the NFL draft. And obviously, back then, nobody was on site. It wasn't a television event. You know, they would just call you, and you'd be like, oh, by the way, you've been drafted by. And he would sit there and get, grab one of those 100 seats and listen. Just so to think it's come from that to where it is now is amazing. And if there wasn't amazing interest in football or the process or the people, it wouldn't have grown like this. The other thing I would say is this is one of the uh, events that I think this year 
the NFL did the right thing, and not just for ESPN, but for a lot of writers. I think there's over a thousand people at the combine. They haven't really given you a tremendous amount of access to the drills, but they've allowed a lot of things to happen. And I think when you expand TV coverage and do all these sorts of things and get fans closer to the game, and very much like the coaches' convention for the uh, Final Four is like an uh, impromptu coaches' convention or NCAA convention the week of the Final Four, this has really turned into a de facto unofficial league meetings without going to New York or Palm Beach or whatever swanky resort they go to three or four times a year. This is an unofficial meeting place for all NFL people. Now, that's the stuff that's truly not televised. Um, but I think it's great because for a lot of people, when the NFL decides to expand the interest in something, they're not doing that because they want it to become a bigger thing. They're generally doing it because they're forced to do it because there's so much fan interest involved in it. And look, I mean, I think Kyler Murray swallowed all of the oxygen in the room. I mean, yep. Nick Bosa could be a once-in-a-generation type player. He got no attention. Dwayne Haskins could end up being the best player at the quarterback position selected in this draft 10 years from now. He got no attention. Um, so a lot of this, to your point, Trent, is Kyler Murray-driven. If it wasn't for him, I do think the general interest, maybe not Ken's interest, maybe not my interest, but I do think the general interest for this thing would be tamped down just a little bit. Hmm. Well, this may answer my next question. Zubin Mahente, a few more minutes with Zubin ESPN. What was a bigger story in sports last week, Zubin? The Kyler Murray hitting that five foot ten magic number, or Bryce Harper, 13 years, $330 million? I mean, I'm sure you could go to ESPN.com and click on or check out the analytics as to, you know, what was, uh, was more popular over there. But what was the bigger story, do you think, in sports out of those two last week? I think it was Kyler Murray, and I think it was by a very wide margin. Now, when Bryce Harper spoke Saturday in Clearwater, Florida, we carried it. Um, obviously, we have games going on Saturday, including Iowa State, because this happened at about 2 o'clock Eastern time. Um, so in that sense, uh, we did carry the entire press conference on ESPN News. We did carry all of Manny Machado's press conference on ESPN2. We did deem that big enough to go there and cover. But I think what puts Kyler over the top was Kyler got every day million dollars 24 hour sports anywhere in the world on iHeartRadio. this is 1460 KXNO Hi Melanie Condon final a few minutes here of a Tuesday Wednesday abbreviated program first half hour David Kaplan's going to join us for most of it. Brought to us by Centurion Stone of Iowa. See, you Darvish yesterday, Trent, was quoted as saying he's got the best stuff of his life right now. Bold state. That's what I thought, too. I mean, we're not even in the middle of March yet. Right. We're not even a week into March yet, and we're hearing that. The best stuff of my life, according to you, Darvish. All right. I mean, he's got to get Cubs fans kind of excited, right? I mean, they spent all that money on him last year and got, what, one win? I think he won one game. Um, and if that's the case, I mean, this guy's been pretty good. It's not like you throw a hundred plus million at a guy who stinks. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I found myself, uh, speaking of baseball, reading up on the Cardinals for a while last night. I was on the post dispatch reading a couple of articles mm-hmm. there. They had uh, one of their beat, they call him the commish. Can you no, no. One of the beat writers there for a while on the Cardinals though. And a bunch of Rick questions. Rick Hummel? Yes. Yes. Cardinals, I think, might be good. Sneaky good. That division, yeah. Trent. That division. Oh, it's going to be... It's going to be a rock fight. 
19 Cincinnati's against, in it. Yes. The Pirates, Pirates are mm. they're salty though, right? Yep. Yeah. You don't expect to go and sweep them. Nope. And then the three heavy heads at the top of it. It's going to be a really good division. It's going to be a hell of a division. Yes, it is. And maybe because of that, maybe the under could be the play on I see every, where you're going because they're going to knock each other off, There's right? going to be, mm-hmm. and you don't have that awful team in the division yes. to beat up on. And thanks to the Reds. What were those, right around 88 to 90, I think, for all three, right? I think so. When we looked like at that. it, I'm sure it's a little different now. Yeah. And we'll take a peek here, I'm sure, in the coming weeks. But that might be my play. I might go under on all three because... Two of those three, you'd have to think it'd be under that number because the division is mm-hmm, so good. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for baseball. Yeah, so am I. I'm excited for your twins, too, by the way. A lot of people picking them as a uh, don't sleep on the twins is the answer for You know, it people. looked like the Indians were going to sell a lot off. They really didn't. They didn't sign anybody significant. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was talk of Kluber maybe mm-hmm. being shipped out. Some of the Carrasco, some of those other young arm or older arms now as uh, they're, they're getting into their late 20s, early 30s. That didn't happen, but... Need a bounce back from Sano and Buxton and Byron Buxton. I tweeted it last week. Hit another homer. Waited back on a pitch. He hasn't been flailing. I'm getting sucked back in by you Byron should. Buxton. You should. Oh. Ray is going to start, right? He's opening day starter. I yes. think I saw that yesterday. All right. Uh, in our final couple of minutes here. So we're off tomorrow for at 1030. You're mm-hmm. going to take the airways. You've got... Dowling and Waukee? Dowling Waukee, yes, uh, will be the opener for the 4A quarterfinals. And uh, our friends over at 1430 up in Ames, they'll have the broadcast of the Little Cyclones tonight. So if you're looking for some CIML coverage, that'll come your way 1430. Sproul doing that? Dave yes. Sproul doing that? Good. And I wonder if uh, his buddy down, Chuck Reed, if he's going to sit in. They're undefeated. The boys are the when, when Chuck's doing when, when Chuck is uh, doing the color there. So. Well, I asked Chuck. I bumped into him, and you pointed that out because I wasn't aware of that. And he said, "When Sproul's on the road, uh-huh. I guess he's done some Iowa State women. Is that the case? Oh, okay, I, I, I think that's what uh, Chuck mentioned. Uh, that's why he sat in. So, anyways, tomorrow you'll you'll have coverage of that live from uh, Wells Fargo at ten thirty. There seem to be more people coming into Des Moines from. My commute from Ankeny at yeah, 9 o'clock yeah. this morning on 235 seemingly was busier, and there were a whole bunch of people exiting there just as you get across the river to get over there. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but it seemed like it. People coming in, what, well, game one was North Lynn against, I, I just know. said it. Oh, Des Moines Christian. And then you had the people coming in, Norwalk Ballard. You had some Ballard people. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's what it was. Well, Cappy will be here. We'll be here for a half hour. We'll preview Iowa State, West Virginia. Uh, Murph and Andy, two Fanatics at four. The rush starts at all tomorrow at six. Thanks for being here. 1460 KXNO.